diddly dee bangily bang on the empire podcast this week pod is the final frontier as we talk to the legendary captain james tiberius kirk himself the incredible william shatner and don't mention star trek once plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast it is alarmed to hear that it's coming home god damn you pennywise we thought you were dead we thought you were dead deadlights chris deadlights those losers club lived up to their name <laughs> they are they're shit it is coming home hello pod i'm chris hewitt and welcome to the empire podcast Set semaine, Helen est à Cannes pour le festival de Cannes 2021. Alors, elle n'est pas ici aujourd'hui. Oh, your German's really coming along. That's Thank great. Thank you. Thank you. Danke. Danke. So, no Helen this week. No Helen this week, folks. And we also had a last-minute injury in the warm-up, which means there is no revolving fourth chair this Woo! week. Yeah. So you know what that means. You know what that means. No three-fact structure. You know what it also means. Lads night. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's just me and the bloody lads necking pale ales and graffiti in for 90 minutes. Yeah. Chanting, chanting. Woo, laddie, laddie. Yes, and those two lads. Those I two feel lads disqualified are. for participating in a lads night on account of the fact that I was the only person in the country, I think, not watching the football last night. So, sorry. You're not a lad. Get out! I'm not. Yes, anyway, so uh, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. This week, GBFN. What's your name? James Dyer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's fine, Chris. We've only worked together for 20 years. I have no problem with you forgetting my name. Um, Yeah. Of course, I didn't forget your name, Jan. Jan. (laughs) Jan. Oh, Jan. Jan, My good good friend, Jan. I'm only kidding. I'm Um, only kidding. James Dyer is here, everybody. Walk yes. around him. Nerves don't watch football. That's the uh, that's the, that the takeaway here. I was. That is true because you are you are a great big fucking nerd. And, I was uh, watching Fear Street actually while the football was on. Oh, how nice! Did they my win? commitment to this podcast knows no bounds? Did Did Fear Street win? They did. Yes, yeah. three nil. Three nil. Okay. Uh, we're also joined by the nicest man in show business, especially now that Michael Palin has reversed that dump truck into that children's factory. <laughs> <laughs> Children's factory? What is a children's factory? It's a factory that produces children. Oh, yeah. that's where babies yeah. come from. You've explained that's it to where me so come many from times, we have, Yeah, we've had this chat. We've had this chat, Ben. You've seen uh, Storks, it is, right? of course. It is, of course, Ben Travis. Hello, Ben. Ooh, all right. Let's, 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 let's. What's happening? Lads, 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 lads. That's oh as convincingly God. laddish as I get. I've just been injecting heroin. That's not laddish, Chris. That's, <laughs> is that's, it not? That's, that's train spotting lads night. Oh, God, sorry. I've, I've gone too hard too fast, and this could be a very, very short podcast. Anyway, we are the three lions. We are the three lions who are going to be bringing this podcast home this week. Three lions. Does that make us like four lions, but even more incompetent? I think we've just proven that in the first three minutes of this podcast. <laughs> How are we feeling about the, the football? In case you don't know, England... Football club have reached the final of the big cup, the Euros 2020. This is obviously 2021, but the pandemic had other plans. Uh, and big Gareth and his magnificent waistcoats have uh, taken the boys, the lads, to the final. So, James, and you are obviously famously football agnostic. How do you feel about all this? Agnostic is far too mild a term for what I am. Um, I see the thing is, I can't knowingly watch the prequel before watching the most recent installments. So, you know, I'll watch Euros 2021 when it comes out, but I feel like I, I don't really want to watch the prequel. Are you actually going to avoid the final? 
So we have a thing on the Pilot TV podcast where oh, Terry has agreed or did agree to watch the first two episodes of season one of Peaky Blinders in exchange for me watching the semi-final of the football. That doesn't um, seem like a, that's a strange trend. How has she missed Peaky Blinders? I, I, I've said exactly the same thing. It's the most Terry thing ever. And she's watched all kinds of other shit that I've shown her way, but she's never watched Peaky Blinders because she has a thing against uh, men and periods. Period. Well, no, because, I mean, it's, it's all working-class Birmingham flat caps. You'd think it would be, like, absolute nailed-on Terry, home counties sort of territory, but uh, it wasn't. Um, no. So so, so I've, I'm getting her into Peaky Blinders because I'm doing a rewatch at the moment, and in exchange, he asked me to watch the football. Now, I, of course, reneged on my end of the bargain and did not watch the semifinals on account of not wanting to. So uh, at this point, I don't know. We're going to have to rearrange the terms on Monday's edition of the Pilot Podcast to see what she'll have to do to get me to watch the final. You're altering the deal. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Ben, I've got pretty sucked into this. It would be way more on brand for me to have been watching Fear Street last night, which is what I probably should have been doing. Um, But I did end up watching the football, and yeah, I've got pretty sucked into it. I'm excited about the final. In my lifetime... This has never happened. I don't think we've ever got to the final of a major tournament since I mean, I've been... In fairness, you're like 17, so it's not a huge yeah. achievement. Um, I mean, it's it's been a long time coming. And to put it in kind of easy terms for James, right, the World Cup a couple of years ago was basically like a soft reboot of the England team. <laughs> so it's still called... They're still called the England team or something like that. But it was like a whole generation of new players who were all kind of fresh and up and coming. And it was like, oh, I don't have to have any pre-existing knowledge of who these guys are. And they were all great. So this isn't Euros 2020. This is the Euros 2020. And it's like a soft reboot, but also a sequel. Sort of reboot, bit of a sequel. Well, I was going to say, so the the World Cup a couple of years ago, which I did get quite sucked into as well, was a bit of an Infinity War situation because we got to the semifinals and then we crashed out and... Like, victory was there, but they couldn't do it. Thanos snapped his fingers. We didn't win the the World Cup, right? So now, a couple of years later, they've right. re-teamed, and now yes. we are in the end game now, quite literally, the end game of the tournament so on Sunday night. the end of the game is going to be nil-nil, and, you know, Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling and Jordan Henderson are going to be bearing down on the Italian goal, but it's looking it's looking hopeless. It's looking bereft. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like they're going to go to penalties and probably lose, given England's track record. And then Harry Kane puts his hand to his ear and hears, Harry, on your left. And he turns around and a portal <laughs> opens. And Bobby Charlton and Bobby Moore and, and fuck it, Ian Pele. Rush. Pele and Ian Rush. <laughs> Chris Waddle. And, you know, and Mr. Snuffleupagus. And everybody just comes flying out of the portals. And suddenly the Italians are like, hang on, I don't think this is in the rule books. I think we have actually won this game. Null and void. We are the champions. Thanks very much. Thanks a bunch, Pele. Do you think that's going to happen? Something like that. And I, I think one of the Italian players is going to try and headbutt one of the England players and it's just going to bounce Whoa! off their head. The stereotyping. Captain Marvel yeah. style. Yeah, I uh, genuinely, if you could promise me that during a tense moment, a portal from the future would open and an army of people fighting a war against the White Spikes would emerge onto the pitch, I'd fucking watch that in a heartbeat. I just <laughs> think it's unlikely. Well, as I was saying on the Empire WhatsApp group last night, because it was, it was surprisingly all kicking off. Um, we, we are not a very sports centric uh, WhatsApp group at the best of times, but uh, actually everyone was all getting involved. And Terry's I live commentary was something else. It was great. Terry's reactions to everything were great. And I posed the question, who is faster, the Flash or Raheem Sterling? Because that guy is absolutely everywhere. And he, he just like sips across the, the pitch like that. It's going to open the multiverse running around like that. It's the Flash, Ben. It's the Flash. The Flash can run at the, near the speed of light. 
So Raheem Sterling would run maybe 26, 27 miles per hour at his fastest. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a stupid fucking question, Ben. <laughs> I'm just trying to get involved in the football <laughs> conversation, Chris. This no, doesn't ben. come naturally no, to me. No. <laughs> Anyway, come on the Mighty Three Lions uh, on Sunday against Italy. It's an interesting time for Luca on Disney Plus because viewing of that movie is either going to rocket on Sunday night as people are sort of suddenly pro-Italy and they'll just embrace Italy in defeat or people will literally print out that movie and burn it. That's what's going to happen, I think, if Italy Can prevail. you print out a movie, Chris? Very easily, James, with a 3D printer. Have you not tried it? <laughs> Genuinely, has anyone tried that? <laughs> can, can you do that? Can you, get, can you get a file of a movie, say four gigabytes or so, and then just print it out? What would happen? <laughs> what would happen? James, you're a Mr. Tech guru. What would happen? I mean, I think we should try. Would you have the little men? Would the, would the little men be living in your bedroom? Is that Yes, um, yes, that's yeah. what would happen. Okay, yeah. all that's, right. That's exactly Good to know, happen. good to know. I'm just making a list of movies I'd like to print out. Anyway... That's enough nonsense about football. Let's have a question, shall we? It comes from Twitter and it comes from at Sean1Neo. And he asks, due to lockdown, boo, lockdown, damn you. Which movie set or sets have you really wanted to visit? But I'm guessing obviously can't. I've been on one set in the whole of lockdown. And I can't say what it was, but I can say that I was, I bounded onto set Hadn't been on a movie set for a year. And I was like, this is so exciting to be back amongst the trailers and to smell craft services and to see people bustling about their work and going about it, being really professional and preparing for the for the shoot. This is incredible. There is nowhere else on earth I would rather be. And then seven hours later, I was like, I'm bored now. I want to go home. So, so that's, that tends to be the experience for a journalist because we're not doing the exciting stuff. We're just watching the, the, the scenes and stuff. But anyway. Have you been on set of anything? And if you haven't, what would you like to have been on during this pandemic? Lots of stuff shot during the pandemic. So there's a good range of stuff to choose from. I feel like the, like the bar needs to be lowered slightly. Like it's like what film set? I mean, I'd have liked to have gone to Sainsbury's more often during you know the <laughs> pandemic. Like I, I, my, my ambitions are relatively yeah. modest. Or see your friends. Um, I mean, I've seen you what in the flesh five times. And when I say flesh, you were clothed, thankfully. <laughs> yes, in the flesh is I yeah. was quite cast I've only, watched uh, you sleep, but you didn't know about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's true. I was in the office yesterday and I realized it's the second time I've been in the office since before Christmas, which is somewhat yeah. terrifying. Um, but films, film sets, I mean, a lot of stuff has been filming and a lot of it I would have liked to have seen. It has to be said, Two Downton, Two Abbey might be up <laughs> near the top of my list. And I know that sounds deranged, but I well, fucking course, love Downton Abbey. Course, look who it's coming from. <laughs> you know, I'd love to like rock up to High Clear Abbey, you know, go down to the kitchens with Mrs. Patmore. You know, I'm, I'm 100% there for that. I would, uh, I would have enjoyed it a lot. Did you basically just want a weekend away in a country house? At the yeah, maybe that's also what it was. You know, any house, Babington House, all of them, any country home, I'd have taken a, you know, any kind of staycation holiday. But uh, one with upstairs, downstairs and, you know, house stuff. You would have been running that place within an hour. Like, but like Lord Grantham or like Mr. Carson? Like Deja Vu from Top Secret. <laughs> so yes, Mr. Right. Mr. Carson, you would, have, yes. you would have been taken over. Yeah. But you can't yeah. go on that set because there's so many national treasures that have to be preserved oh, and, God, and, and you must imagine? be kept free of, of being infected by James Dyer. I could have wiped out like a significant chunk of our beloved, you know, acting yeah. legends. That that's not, been, that's that not getting too dark with this, but, you know, mm. you, you could have been responsible for, you know, the, the end of Maggie Smith. Nobody wants that. No, nobody wants that. Okay, so it's a good job I didn't get to go on set of, uh, of Downton Abbey 2. Yeah. That's, that's, that's probably a good thing. I mean, Dune had already wrapped, so I couldn't have gone on set of Dune. 
but let's say that Dune had been released. No, we're not doing hypotheticals. <laughs> then they could have been shooting Dune Part Two, and I could have gone on set of that. So you know that would have been mm. that would have been a good thing. I'd have enjoyed that. Oh wow, he has gone insane during the lockdown. He's imagining Dune sequels. Um, the Dune sequel, which quite frankly will never come, but I would love it if it did. Maybe we, we, we'll see. We remain positive and optimistic, don't we? Yes, always, because it will yeah. be the greatest film ever made. Oh dear God, uh, Ben, what have you missed out on? I mean, it's that line, isn't it, between do I want to be on the set of this film or do I just want to see this film? Because top of my mm. list was Matrix 4. They obviously had the endy bits of Matrix 4 to finish up. <laughs> the um, endy bits. That's the endy bits. That's what it, that's, the that's what it said on the call sheet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matrix 4, the endy bits. Uh, but actually, I don't think I want to... I think I just want to see the Matrix 4. I actually don't want to be behind the scenes of that because I just want to experience that all kind of straight away. What I do want to be on the set of right now is John Wick 4. Which is just like insane amounts of like attractive people doing cool action. Like mm. that is that is what I want to go and be on set of right now. Like obviously great that Keanu's back in action, but like Donnie Yen is in this one. I'm massively excited as well that Rina Sawayama is in this, who is a, a mm. amazing musician. She put out an album last year, which if you haven't listened to it, check it which out. You it's made me nuts get and so good did you listen to it i did it's good it's very good it's it's mm, crazy like it sounds like like early noughties like r&b pop with sprinklings of new metal in there like limp biscuit style new metal it's crazy um, didn't you sell it to me as saying it was thanos music oh no that was the grimes album james that was the oh, grimes album right. last year which she described as thanos music uh and is very sort of apocalyptic electronica which i think you would like i think you would like that but rena sawayama is in this film and that has me massively intrigued she's not done any acting stuff and they announced her for the cast and it was like what she's in john wick 4 i need to see what this is uh so i would love to be on the set of john wick 4 i would like to see well it's completely wrapped but rob savage's follow-up to host which they Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a sequel. I don't think it's just their next film, but they made another film in lockdown, I think with Blumhouse. And I loved Host, but also the whole time I was watching Host was like, how did you do this? And to see them working on something slightly bigger, but still pandemic-y, I would like to be behind the scenes of that and like see not only what that film is going to be because they've kept it very much under wraps, but I just really want to see how they're pulling that off, that kind of very lo-fi style that they do. But when you watch Host, it doesn't feel like a small film. It feels like they're pulling off everything that they want to get out of that film. So I'm fascinated to see what those guys cooked up in the second half of lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a ton of stuff. We mentioned John Wick Chapter 4 last week because a whole bunch of stuff started filming around about the same time. So John Wick Chapter 4, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever... And uh, Gareth Evans this week started shooting on Havoc, the Tom Hardy action thriller. And having been on set of The Raid 2, I may have mentioned that a few times, uh, and watching Gareth at work with his incredible action team. I'd love, 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 love to be able to go on that. And I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe now that restrictions are, are lifting somewhat, I don't know how the movie industry is reacting to that and how they're responding to that or whether they're going to they're going to continue to observe lockdown in essence because you cannot risk having a dickhead journalist like me bounding up on set of something and inadvertently unsuspectingly infecting tom hardy and knocking him out for two weeks then your production gets shut down set visits have been possible during lockdown obviously i've been in one i know many people who have been on set visits and i know that the protocols and the procedures in place are they're not, not draconian they're necessary so there are multiple tests and they have 
COVID teams on set, making sure that everyone is masked up and everyone is socially distancing and, you know, they have bubbles. You know, when I wrote that piece recently, the Tom Cruise cover piece, and I spoke to Tom Cruise and, and Chris McQuarrie and their producer, Tommy Gormley, about what they were doing and the procedures and the protocols that they were implementing to try and keep it safe so that they don't have to shut down more than is necessary. That's a pro that's a big production, obviously, that shut down a, a number of times fairly famously. But, you know, the stuff they're doing is incredible so that, you know, everyone's staying in bubbles. You have backup teams of key technical units who are also staying in bubbles. So you have an A team and then if the A team goes down, hopefully the B team will be uninfected so they can step up. Uh, if, you know, they, they told me that there's a, there was a big crowd scene in Abu Dhabi and they literally had 30 extra staying in one hotel, 30 extra staying in another hotel and so on and so forth. And if one extra went down in, in this hotel, the entire group of extras was, was out. So they, you know, they have to be ultra cautious with this stuff. They have to be ultra vigilant with it. And so having me with my little hat with press on it and uh, you know, <laughs> walking around going, hey, what's the scope here? Uh, you know, infecting Tom Cruise, that would be terrible. So, yeah, I can see why they would try and keep us out temporarily, at least. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that with double vaccinations and with guidelines changing and shifting that we might get back on the, the set of this stuff, because there's a lot of stuff that I've really wanted to go on and haven't been able to go on. And this is assuming, of course, that I would have gone on it in the first place, but I would still have loved to have gone on Mission 7 at some point and see what madness they're up to. I would have loved to have gone, as I've said before, on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is a an entry in my favorite franchise, directed by my favorite director, shooting in my favorite city. And I couldn't go on. Um, no, again, this is supposing that I would have been chosen to go on, but... Uh, yeah, that was a big one for me. And it was loads of Marvel stuff, loads of MCU stuff, not not you know, not just counting the Disney Plus stuff. So Loki shot during the pandemic, Falcon and the Winter Soldier shot during the pandemic, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, these are all shooting in the pandemic. But in terms of the movies, load of stuff. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Spider-Man No Way Home, Thor Love and Thunder, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. All of these shot and are shooting in the pandemic. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania is shooting over here right now. Yeah, I'd love to go on all those. All of them. I mean, in terms of big blockbuster stuff as well, Jurassic World 3 was one of the biggest uh, mm -hmm. sort of films to shoot during the pandemic. And I I mean, I love Jurassic so much. And hearing uh, Colin Trevorrow having talked about how many animatronics they have on this one, like how much they're going in on having those practical effects uh, with this film, I would love to have gone on set of that and just seen all the dinosaurs. I want to see the dinosaurs for real. That would be a dream. Oh, that'd be good, wouldn't it? That'd be good. Jim, but any more for any more? Uh, untitled Universal event film looks very good. I'd like to Does have. Uh, I'd love to have been on set of that. Um, no, uh, what else would I? Oh, hello! It's Helen O'Hara suddenly hello. parachuted in. Holy shit! Wrapped in a French flag. Will you <laughs> well, look yeah. at that? How are you? We are fine, Helen. How is the Quasette? It is uh, really hot. I'm so sweaty. It's possible someone in history has been sweatier than me, but I, I don't know who that would be. You do appear to be glowing. Yeah, yes, thank you for putting it politely. <laughs> I went out in the midday sun. What was I thinking? Yeah. Is there any chance, Helen, that you might sweat into your microphone, short it out, and electrocute yourself during this podcast? I mean, I'd put the... the Chances at about 50 to 60 percent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Interesting. Uh, so Helen, Helen uh, is obviously very, very busy over in Cannes, but I did say to her earlier on, just come on and we'll you know talk about Black Widow because Black Widow was out this week 
Uh, obviously, we're going to be reviewing that later on. Now, Helen, you may not be surprised to know we've been faffing around. So we're still no. only on the listener question. Uh, but that's, <laughs> that's fine. So the listener question is uh, is the one about which movie sets you would, you, you would have liked to have visited during lockdown that you have poo-pooed in the past. Hel's, Hel, Helen, Helen's Bellin, do you have an answer? <laughs> what, what film would you like to have visited during lockdown but couldn't because of the COVID? Something that shot during lockdown. Yes. I don't know. The Batman. Yes, Helen, the Batman, the Batman is, a is, great, is a great answer. Whoa, great. What a, yeah, what an so answer. <laughs> Knives Out 2. Also that, sure. Untitled Indiana Jones sequel. The Untitled Indiana Jones sequel. Indiana mm. Jones and the Untitled sequel. That's that's <laughs> what it should be called. The new Spider-Man? Spider-Man, yes. See, there yes, you go. An you, could go there we go. you could go in all these films, all these incredible films. Yeah, Indy 5... But Knives Out 2. Knives Out 2 is a big one for me because that is shooting in Greece and they're looking like they're having just the best time. The best time. I think we should all go. We should just rent a, a holiday house in Greece. And then mm-hmm. also, if one of us dies, then Benoit Blanc can solve the mystery. He's right there. <laughs> that is true. It would be a set Precisely. visit. It would be a holiday. It would yeah. just be a lovely time. Oh, could, I need a holiday. Sh- I need a holiday. Shoot so Mamma Mia 3 while we're out there. All right. Oh my it's God. fine. You, you've Stealth all got parts. Mamma Mia 3. Yes. Here we go again, again. Fully on that board. That is honestly what the third one should be called. <laughs> <laughs> it should just be about Cher as well. Yep. Yes. So uh, so we've decided it's Indiana Jones and the untitled sequel and Mamma Mia, here we go again, again. See, there you go. Okay. Excellent stuff. And that is it for the listener question section. I do have a quick announcement whilst we're talking about pandemics and restrictions, relaxing and all this sort of stuff. Uh, It looks as if, folks, by the time you're listening to this podcast, it should be officially confirmed and officially announced. We are returning to the live arena. Yes. Yes. Woohoo. Yes. It's very, very exciting. So obviously our 450th episode, we usually do a big live jamboree for each landmark podcast and when 450 happened we were deep 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 in lockdown and so we couldn't go to our spiritual home of king's place uh but we've kept in touch ever since and we said look when things begin to ease up a little bit hopefully we'll be able to do the the episode 450 redo version of that podcast and that is what we're going to do so july 28th not a lot of notice i realize but July 28th, uh, and they are still going to be socially distancing to a degree. So it's not going to be the full capacity arena. Uh, so I think there's only like a couple of hundred tickets for that. But if you do fancy coming along and seeing the four giggling idiots and some sensational guests, um, I think, <laughs> hoping to lock down the sensational guests pretty soon. But if the sensational guests that they have in mind confirm then those guests are truly sensational my friends and you do not want to miss that so uh, go to kingsplace.co.uk or check my twitter by the time you listen to this because i should have put up a ticket link by that point and do come along and see us and you know help as well support king's place because that is an amazing amazing venue and they have as with all hospitality and events venues had a hell of a trying time over the last 18 months. So this and a future appearance we're going to be doing in September is hopefully our way of giving back a little bit and supporting. So do come along if you fancy that. So that was the listener question this week uh, sent in by Sean1Neo. If you want to have your question without the Empire podcast, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs or you can reply to any of my hilarious tweets once you've stopped laughing enough to send something. 
Now, because Helen has dropped in from Cannes and presumably you've got to go and do a boozy lunch down the Quasette with Spike Lee and the rest of the jury, <laughs> uh, Helen doesn't have a lot of time this week, so we're going to switch things around. We're going to switch okay. things around and we are going to have the reviews section of the show first. Well, not first, but second, if you know what I mean. Uh, usually we end the show with the reviews. This week we're going to move it to the middle. And Helen, you are here because of a little film I like to call Black Widow. Woohoo! Which is finally yes. out. It is finally out. Uh, it is out by the time you are listening to this. It opened in the UK yesterday, Wednesday, uh, July 7th, over a year after it was meant to open initially. It is, of course, the first, possibly last, we'll see, solo movie for Scarlett Johansson's Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. The Black Widow. And Helen, you were on set of this one. You wrote the Empire feature. Therefore, you should recuse yourself from talking about this movie. So <laughs> thanks for coming, Helen. Bye-bye. Uh, Great. Hell spells. <laughs> spells. Uh, what did you make of this one? Yeah, this one I really, really, really enjoyed. I feel like you can feel the director, Kate Shortland's uh, fingerprints all over it. A lot of her films have been, you know, these kind of personal stories about family, about women family. struggling with issues in their life. Thank you, Dom Toretto. And she brings all of that. She brings her own spin to her Marvel movie, which I think is what we want when they hire interesting directors from outside. And I think she does a brilliant job of that here. Uh, just to clue people in on the plot to the, people, to the extent that people may not know it, this is set immediately after the events of Civil War. Natasha is therefore kind of on the run, kind of on her own, having come down essentially between the two sides a little bit during that conflict, but more on Cap's side because he was right. Um, and uh, she, she's hiding out uh, in Norway when she encounters a mysterious enemy and uh, receives a package from a long-lost person, played by Florence Pugh, who plays Yelena, and realizes that she has to, you know, sort out some stuff in her life, basically. So it's essentially a sort of a quasi-family reunion film, except not quite, but it does see Black Widow essentially take on the people who trained her and made her into what she is and kind of challenge that system uh, without, again, giving massive, massive amounts away. But I feel like that's in the, in the, in the trailer, right? So you also yeah. have, so have David Harbour as Alexi, a.k.a. Red Guardian. You have Rachel Weiss as Melina, who's another trained Black Widow, as is Yelena, as is Florence Pugh's character. And just the four of them, I thought their dynamic was fantastic. I absolutely loved them together. So any scene with, with the four of them in it was brilliant for me. There were a couple of things I could probably nitpick, but generally speaking, like, it just felt like it delivered. It was, you know, the action was good. Uh, the characters I thought were great. I love Yelena. I thought she was brilliant. And the kind of bickering between her and Natasha is just charming. There's a couple of, you know, plot beats where you're like, does that make sense, really? And did that person come around a little bit quicker than one might expect? But honestly, it feels like nitpicking because I just loved it. Mm, I, I, I loved it too, an awful lot. There's a part of me, the my biggest regret about this film is that it didn't come out in 2016. Do you know what I mean? It feels like mm. if this had been the film after Civil War, it would have been a perfect cap on the rift, no, no pun intended, but a perfect cap on the rift in the team because you go straight from Civil War into Dot Strange, Guardians 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, and you don't get to really explore that period where they're outcasts. Mm. And I think this was just beautiful. She's on the run. It really makes Civil War land. And I thought that was great. But taken as a film in and of itself, I thought this was fantastic. But the thing, the thing about this, the thing about this, the only thing, and this, I'm not even sure this is a criticism, but just to sort of go on a slight tangent, when I saw Force Awakens, it was fluffy Star Wars. When I saw Last Jedi, I was like, this is an amazing film, but something about it 
almost doesn't feel quite like a Star Wars film. That's not necessarily a criticism, and I've grown to love that film even more. Yes. But it was something, and I had this feeling, yes, absolutely, Rise of Skywalker, whole other thing. But with this, like, I was watching this, and I thought, this is great, and I'm loving it, but this, for me, is like, you know, the Bourne sorority. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't feel like an MCU film. It felt like Marvel's Bourne film, and I was really into that. I was digging it. But it just felt slightly like a thing apart. And I guess that makes sense because it is. It's a retrospective thing. It's a character who's essentially no longer functioning in the MCU. And I get that totally different. So it was it was a weird experience for me. And I'll tell you the other thing that kind of sat with me with this is this film, for me, and perhaps this is just me, but I found this film surprisingly violent. And I think that's partly because it's set in a more grounded universe. It's not quite as fantastical. The violence is very human. But some of it is very graphic, and some of the conversations in it are quite upsetting. And there's male-on-female violence here, which is quite pronounced as well. And it's so much so that my main takeaway from this film, apart from the fact that I loved it and I thought it was brilliant, was this is the only MCU film that I couldn't advise my friends to take their kids to go and see. Like I'd almost be able to say, this isn't suitable for children. And it sounds insane to say, it's a 12. I definitely think children under 12 shouldn't see it, because of course not, it's a 12. But in reality, all the MCU films are 12s. And kids do see them because they do, because they're MCU films. And this one, I think, is a, a hard 12. I think if you're under 12, it's just not a film you should be watching. <laughs> Sorry, that is a hard my belief 12 as opposed it's to a hard, hard 12. <laughs> a hard 12 rating. If you are under 12, you have no business watching this film because, frankly, it's going to be quite upsetting. They say cripes five times. Indeed, they do. All of that aside, uh, loved it. We'll miss Natasha Romanoff enormously mm. after this. Everyone's really assuming will. this is her last go round. I don't think it is. Especially if this movie does as well as it's going to, as, as, as it probably is going to do. I think, I think it, is. it is. I, I think. I think. I think we'll see her again. I don't. I feel. Like, I feel like this is this is the close. I mean, admittedly, you can't go by what Scarlett Johansson's been saying because actors have been known to lie. Um, but uh, I feel like this. This feels like a lovely kind of send off for that character, uh, yeah. who who I will miss enormously. Hey, if she comes back, I'll be thrilled to bits. But you know, there are, shall we say, other ways to go at the end of this film. So, yes. Good stuff. Love it. Very happy. Also, we should point out two things. One, it's been so long since we've seen a Marvel movie that I very nearly ran around the theatre naked when this came on because I was so excited. And second of all... Too much information. True. I realised that in doing the MCU spoiler specials, we have ruined the Marvel fan. No, no. We have have improved. We have enhanced. We have augmented. The gravitas, like the shivers I used to get from watching that are now gone and I'm just reaching for my kazoo. So... (laughs) Again, not a euphemism. <laughs> for any of you out there who are not subscribed to the spoiler specials, I'd like to apologise for the fact that when we do these Marvel TV spoiler specials, we have been doing our own versions of the Marvel fanfare to um, mixed effect, mixed effectiveness. Triumphant effect, I think. Triumphant effect, my yeah. apologies. Yes, of course. It's somewhere between triumphant and godly. So if that's mixed, then... Is that ungodly? Would that be in the middle? Or No, no, there is no ungodly. Uh, I've heard them. In fact, I've, I've been part of them. They're, they're incredible. Uh, and uh, and some people have said worth the subscription fee alone. So £2.99 a month, £32.99 a year. Thanks, Helen, for allowing me to plug our wares. Uh, get on it. Empire.com slash spoiler special. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> oh, what have we done? What have we done? Anyway, so, yeah, that's very interesting, that point about the hard 12 and, you know, would you take kids to see this movie? Uh, I am not a parent. Uh, not you not know of, anyway. Uh, but... No, Helen's here, Chris. The lad's night is off. Sorry, it's sorry. Off. It's we, have, we have been so, so laddie. Uh, James, James had a Chardonnay. Uh, I had some camembert. 
uh, and <laughs> and Ben uh, Ben was uh, perusing the the Reese sale. So we've had a really really Whoa. laddie time. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. I know. Wow. Yeah. I know. So sorry, sorry if we've shocked you with our laddish sensibilities. But yeah, I, 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 I'm not a parent, but I know whenever I was around eight, nine, ten, I was watching way more violent movies. I mean, so was I. Like, I was watching <laughs> yeah. proper 18s at that age. But yeah. look what happened to me, Chris. I'm a cautionary tale. You are a cautionary And in fact, so in many ways, so am I. So I didn't really have a problem with that. In fact, I quite liked the idea that you know, I, I, for me, this isn't as good as the, the film. It's probably closest to in the in the MCU, which is Winter Soldier. Winter it's not. Soldier. It's not as good as that. Um, bet, but that's but no criticism. I mean, that's no, the best of the MCU. It, that's a high bar. That's somewhere yeah. between Triumphant and Godly. So, so this is this is fine. This is not a mixed review of Black Widow. I I had a good time with it for sure. But the the finalists didn't didn't really. I didn't bump up against that. I can see why people would. And there's certainly conversations. As you say, James, I'm not going to uh, say what they are, but there are conversations here where, which, which is, I think, Kay Shortland and the production team deliberately trying to push the envelope of what you can and cannot get away with in a movie yeah, like I this. So, so they're 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 like the Raptors testing defenses. Um, <laughs> Clever girl. Yes, and uh, I really admired that. I really admired its willingness to swing for the fences. Um, and most of the time it comes off for me. And again, I, you know, the, the character interplay is great. It's one of those, again, it's one of those Marvel movies where I had a better time when they weren't fighting and kicking and punching mm, and stabbing. Very than, much so. Mm. Than I, than I did when they, family when they fun. were. Not in family. that, not in that it's a family film, but the family <laughs> yeah. dynamic is fun. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's not to say that the fight scenes are bad. It's that the, to say that the yeah. family scenes are really, really good. Yeah. MVP, David Harbour. Absolutely. Well, I don't know about that. But I also think that this is really thematically coherent in a way that not all of the recent Marvel properties have. I mean, certainly if you compare it not to The Winter Soldier, but The Falcon and The Winter Soldier, you oh, can see word. real, real coherence in terms of ideas and plot and bad guy and good guy. And, you know, it, it, it ties together. It feels like elegant storytelling in a way that I appreciate. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Benjamin. I liked that about it a lot as well. It kind of reminded me a bit of Black Panther in a way as well, where you you see what they're trying to do and tying everything to the ethos of that character and the sort of story that that character can tell that nobody else in the MCU can. And it really commits to that theme in a way that I found really impressive all through various different plot threads and how it all ties together. Um, like Chris was saying, with the comparisons to The Winter Soldier, to me, I guess there's a bit of a difference between political thriller and like spy thriller but this felt like even more of a typical spy thriller to me than yeah. either of those kind of later cap films yeah. uh, like james was saying there's sort of born and sometimes bond comparisons as well i think there's quite a lot of bond i mean DNA, there's there <laughs> are, appearance there are references exactly and some of the action sequences because it is still taking place on that heightened mcu scale it's some of the bigger action is maybe more bond than born but you also get that really grounded stuff i occasionally bumped up against some of the grounded fight scenes which i really enjoyed but it had that slight thing of um that i also found in hobbs and shaw where you get directors who are like we're going to do like quite a gritty punchy action sequence but this is a 12 so you're going to feel all of the impact but we're also going to try and soften that impact at the same time with quite a bit of shaky cam no blood no blood and and i think it's just the way that they cut around things mm. and use quite a lot of shakiness where it's like in a john wick film you can just hold the shot really steady and mm -hmm. watch people absorb these blows because it's a 15 and they can do that whereas they can't quite do that in the same way but they're still trying to give you action sequences that have that feeling and it doesn't always come off but i also like the fact that some of the bigger action sequences because this is a big summer blockbuster it still feels like it's taking place on a different scale within the mcu like we've had massive 
multi-galaxy, everybody's fighting Thanos, aliens, <laughs> and S- Spider-Man, and Valkyrie yeah. on a Pegasus, and all of that stuff yeah. in these recent MCU films. So to have something that feels... It's weird to say smaller, because it's still a big film, <laughs> and there's still like people flying through the air at the end. But it's quite nice that this film occupies its own space within the MCU, yeah. even separately to to the Cap films, which I guess are sort of comparable in a way. I think it just gives it a really nice sense of identity in its own right in the way that it approaches those action scenes and the sort of scale that it can play on. Indeed. And we should mention Scarlet as well. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but you know, this is, if this is indeed her swan song, this is the, the most screen time, the most prominence she's had in any of the, the movies. She's been great ever since she appeared in the MCU in 2010 in Iron Man 2. And, you know, it's been wonderful watching her bounce off all the other Avengers over the years. I thought she was one of the MVPs of Endgame. Uh, and mm. she's just, she's really, really good in this role. Yeah, I, I think she's she's kind of evolved the role to her strengths or, or the, the MCU has evolved it with her, I think. You know, she's talked in the past and she talked in recent weeks about the sort of hypersexualization of her character in Iron Man 2. And they've kind of moved beyond this. I mean, look, there are still some shots of her arse, which is still magnificent, but like it's not the focus of, you know, quite Other as many. I didn't notice. <laughs> it's not the focus of quite as many scenes as maybe it would have been in the early days. And she's not playing such a femme fatale. There's almost no sort of seduction-y spy work in this. You know, it tends to be more kicking and punching spy work, you know. Mm. So it feels like that's been a real evolution of her character. And and in particular, that one of the scenes that James is kind of referring to, one of the scenes with um, Yelena and Alexei in a plane, you'll know it when you see it, there's a conversation scene that seems like a direct response to the worst bit of dialogue in Avengers Age of Ultron. Yeah. So, you know, they've they've tried to kind of address, I think, some of their mistakes in the past with it. They've tried to do right by her, and she just grabs that and runs with it brilliantly. So we gave this one four stars. Four stars then for Black Widow and Natasha Romanoff's return. Hooray! Hooray! Uh, and next up, Helen's got to run to a swanky lunch with Spike Lee. So, Helen, Fear Street. <laughs> Fear Street. So this is really interesting. This is the trilogy of horror films directed by Lee Janiak, which have... Uh, going to drop on Netflix one per week. So that the final part is out next week. Second part is out today. And the first part, which we didn't talk about in last week's show, Fear Street Part 1, 1994. That's what we're going to talk about real, real quick. Helen, <laughs> tell us what you thought. Yeah, this I thought was really fun. And it's kind of a, a, an interesting twist on a horror movie. So it's set in the town of Shady Side which is the murder capital of the United States, as we meet it. There is a long history of psycho killers in the town, unlike neighbouring Sunnyvale, which is rich and popular and everybody's Not Sunnydale. Not Sunnydale, Sunnyvale, very important, uh, different letter. But some of the Shadyside teens come to believe that this is the result of a curse by a witch called Sarah Fear, F-I-E-R in this case, uh, who cursed the town in 1666. All would seem to be well, except that then, wouldn't you know it, murders start happening again. So basically, our group of uh, plucky teen heroes have to team up to save one of their own from essentially that curse coming back to not just haunt her, but cut her to shreds. Um, So it's a kind of, it's it's a twist on a classic slasher movie. It has, you can see the DNA of sort of R.L. Stein. It's based on one of his stories. It is 
a lot tougher than Goosebumps. This is an 18. This is not cute tween horror, like James said for Black Widow. Don't bring your tiny children to it. Yeah. But you can still see his kind of DNA and, and something of the way that they actually adapted Goosebumps in the sense of bringing a lot of horror tropes into one film and playing with those tropes and playing with those, but still delivering a horror movie, still delivering on the blood and the gore and the splatter in quite significant degrees. But the characters are updated, which I liked. You know, there's a romance between two young girls in this, for example. So we're seeing a little bit more diversity, a little bit more representation than there might have been had this film actually been made in 1994. But it basically is, I thought, a pretty classic slasher movie. That is an excellent review. Thank you so much. We're going to hear what Jimbo thinks of it. You're not going to hear what Jimbo thinks of it, of course, because you have to go to lunch. Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? Bon appétit, Ellen. Merci, merci. Well, I have to go to lunch before I see Val later. Val, so I'm really excited about that. Val Kilmer's documentary. Just just to say, in terms of canned reactions, which you didn't ask for, but I'm going to give you anyway. Fine. Annette, uh, super, super duper weird. I find it fascinating and kind of bizarre in a good way so mm-hmm. look out for that it's super weird we'll talk about that in the future i also saw to c'est bien passé which is the new francois ozon with sophie marceau and it is extremely french but in a pretty good way i saw the documentary jane par charlotte which is on jane birkin by charlotte gainsbourg i was about to say charlotte rampling that would be wrong um mm-hmm. by charlotte gainsbourg her daughter so that's mm-hmm. an extremely intimate french documentary if you don't know your birkin family history you will not be able to keep up So do at least read the Wikipedia page before you go and see that one. And then this morning I saw The Velvet Underground, which is Todd Haynes' new film, which is pretty great. And again, you know, it's certainly one for fans of The Velvet Underground, but it at least gives some clue to those of us who aren't cool enough to know all of their hits. So, um, yeah. That's amazing. You've seen more films in a few days than I usually see in two weeks of Cannes. So... (laughs) I've still got quite a lot more to go. The, the ticketing site worked this morning, so it was very exciting. Oh my God, what, what, a, what a glorious, glorious time to be alive. Uh, all right, well, go and enjoy your lunch. Enjoy the Quasette. Thank you very much. Say hi to Spike Lee for us. <laughs> well, he, he went past me on his bike yesterday when I was running. It was amazing. Does he call it Bike Lee? <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. All right, well, bye. Bye, Helen. Bye, bye Helen. Bye, see ya. Oh, um, that was Helen. Everything and, and, Helen said was a lie. No, that's not true. Uh, that's not true. No, I, I enjoyed this a lot as well. It's uh, it's much as, as Helen said. Like it's it's a real riff on the scream. This is right down to the fact that you've got that kind of uh, do you like scary movies type? You know, woman alone being stalked. Uh, and Maya Hawke is in this. So she's the Drew Barrymore, if you will, in the kind of prologue to this and gets brutally murdered in a mall while closing up her shop uh, by a skull mask wearing killer who even moves in the same way as Ghostface. And that's like sort of clumsy, getting clonked sort of way. Um, so it is a kind of teens on the run film. It is a little bit self-aware, but the supernatural edge, I think, distinguishes it a little bit. And also it's not quite as arch as Scream is. And I think that would have been the real danger zone to go in with this film. Like if it had been very, very, ah, yes, let's roll out the movie tropes and been that self-aware, I think it could have become very tedious very quickly. And it doesn't do that. Like it definitely riffs on uh, on Scream. It definitely is sort of self-aware to an extent, but it's also very rooted in its era. Like there's loads of nostalgic fun to be had. The soundtrack is fucking brilliant. I mean, this is very much my era. Like it's Cypress Hill, Nine Inch Nails, Soundgarden, Pixies, Portishead. Sophie B. Hawkins, if that's your jam, you know, and there's AOL chat rooms, there are video stores, Walkmans, also all that good stuff from the 90s. So it's a lot of fun and I really enjoyed the setting. It's bloody, like very bloody. And I think people who are fans of R.L. Stein's work might be a little thrown by that because his Goosebump stuff is kind of preteen. 
His Fear Street stuff is traditionally kind of early to mid-teenage, and this is very much an 18. Uh, so hard it is 18? very bloody. <laughs> is, is it hard? I know when it's a hard 18. It's a, it's, a, it's a fuzzy 18. You could probably get away with this. It's bloody but not nasty. If we took some um, of the blood from this and put it into Black Widow... I made them both oh, yeah, 15s, then that, would you oh, be okay? Oh, 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 maybe. I mean, I think Blackwood, I should probably be a 15 anyway, but that's a whole other conversation. I, what I liked about this, I like the fact that it had two queer leads, and I, th- I like the fact that it was no big deal in this. I don't make a big thing of it, it's just the way it is, and I thought that was a really lovely tone to strike. And I also think, if I'm honest with you, it's probably about 15 minutes too long. I think, I didn't check the runtime, it's about an hour 45, an hour 50, and it gets a tiny bit, not monotonous, but repetitive in the last act. So I think if they trim 15 minutes off, it would have been a perfect length to that. Of course, the only real downside of this is that it's open-ended by its very nature. So this was originally going to be a, a trio of films. They were due to come out theatrically in summer last year, but obviously didn't. Uh, and now they've gone to Netflix and they're coming out sort of sequentially on, on the streaming platform. But this is very much the setup and the story then continues in Fear Street Part 2 and then Fear Street Part 3. So it is kind of sort of viewed as a single offering. So I will say like the ending of this is good but not satisfying because all it really does is tee up the second film so i think you do have to be prepared to like this is not a horror film you are committing to watch three horror films that said it's loads of fun it's really affectionate it's enjoyable it's bubbly it's an absolute riot all the way through i wouldn't say it's particularly scary if you're looking for proper fear you're not going to find it here there are a few jump scares in there but it's more fun than it is frightening uh but actually i was there for that i had a whale of a time a whale of a time indeed. So then four stars for Fear Street Part 1, 1994. And because of the way they're releasing this with a new part every week. So the final part set in 1666 is out next week. Really cool way of doing this, I think. Part two is with us already and it is 1978. A year I frankly don't remember. Same here, weirdly. I don't know why that yeah. is. but um... So bizarre. <laughs> But this film kind of lovingly recreates that era. I love the way that they're rolling this out and the fact that they're kind of hopping through different eras of horror. So yeah, part one was very much sort of 90s slasher. This one we get a sort of late 70s, early 80s summer camp slasher. So if you've seen part one, you sort of know the setup for this. It's really interesting how they're kind of playing different elements across each film and you have recurring characters in a really fun way. And this one, I won't say for sure, but in case you haven't seen part one yet, but it picks up exactly where part one leaves off with certain characters meeting each other uh, and then delving back into another historic story of what happened in uh, Shadyside and Sunnyvale at Camp Nightwing in 1978. Um, I mean, all the names for things and all the references they're playing with is all very, very knowing, which I think is a lot of the fun here. I have to say, I preferred this to part one. We have given, not to jump ahead of ourselves, but we have given this one three stars Mm -hmm. and we gave part one four stars. The general consensus is that the first part was was better as well. Yes, but for me... I'd swap that around. You're a maverick. I am a maverick. Okay. I play by my own rules. Um, I think Maybe with- as the film gets further away from your actual birthday, that's <laughs> where you, you, you begin to feel a little bit... Safer, maybe. You know, yeah. I'm like, if that was a 1994, maybe. that could have been me. <laughs> Whereas- as it gets closer to my birth year, then I get maybe I'm slightly more down in it mm. because it's reminding me of the dark times. But uh, yeah, we get kind of mostly uh, a set of new characters here. So Emily Rudd is uh, Cindy Berman, who is one of the uh, sort of camp leaders. Her little sister is uh, Ziggy Berman, 
played by Sadie Sink from uh, some of the later seasons of Stranger Things. She's so good in that show. Uh, so she's the sort of main character here, but also the main person you're probably going to know from this film. Uh, and mm. in true kind of summer camp horror style, it all seems fairly innocent until there's a mad axe murderer on the loose <laughs> and you have a couple of the uh, camp leaders trying to get stoned and have sex, which, spoiler alert, is going to end badly for them. But they mm. do a nice job of tying all of this into this overarching myth that we're slowly unfolding and learning more about Sarah Fear, the supposed witch from 1666 who cursed the town, mm-hmm. uh, or specifically cursed the town of Shadyside, uh, while the Sunnyvalers seem to get off pretty lightly in all of this. I beg your pardon? <laughs> I mean, they are getting off in a lot of ways. Um, and getting offed, in fact. Yeah, getting off and getting off. Mm. It works on many, many Word levels. Play. But yeah, I, I preferred <laughs> like this one level. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the that's the level that the Empire Podcast operates on. <laughs> one level. It's, at all, it's times. all I can aspire to operating on one level. Um, sometimes I don't operate on any levels, so it's good to sometimes operate on a single level, just for a treat, you know. Um, yes. Yeah. So anyway, I enjoyed this more than part one. I think for me, part one, it took a little while to sort of just settle into itself. I don't know if it was me trying to settle into the rhythms of that story and how they were unfolding it. But it took a little mm-hmm. while for me to ease into part one. I thought it really picked up towards the end. This one, I was just in it from the off. I really liked the sort of late 70s vibe. A great soundtrack. It's basically half of the Dazed and Confused soundtrack plus half of the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. So it's kind of familiar, but in a good way. And mm. the, the kills are kind of less inventive in this one or less varied. It's kind of a more straightforward premise in terms of the sort of central threat. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I found it really satisfying learning more about the Seraphia story and you get kind of a new angle on things that you might have heard about or seen in the previous installments. And it's kind of a bit darker and a little bit nastier, but still plays out Nasty. as a sort of fun horror. I think the tone of this one seemed a bit more consistent to me because the first part with all the 90s nurses quite kind of poppy and upbeat, but then gets quite grim at points as well and sort of veers between tones in a way that this one kind of stays at one level all the way through, which is sort of nasty, but in a fun way rather than a sort of really grimy way. But it's still an 18. There are still some pretty splatty deaths in this one. Yeah, I just had a really good time with it. And especially, it does a really good job of, by the end of it, I want to see part three right now. Mm-hmm. Like, Well, luckily, it's a long and a week. I know. Uh, what and a great actually, we'll, way yeah, of... Because we'll, we're, we're, we're the chosen ones, aren't we? So we'll, we'll probably see it, I don't know, Thursday. We'll probably see it like a, like a day early. Yes. So, wow. Good on us. <laughs> Good on us. Yeah, I'm going to keep my powder dry on Fear Street until all three parts have been seen because I think it'll really benefit from that. In fact, I, I wasn't even sure if we were going to review either part one or part two on the show this week, but we decided to in, in the end because obviously lots of people are talking about it and want to know whether the, the films are worth your time. But yes, like Ben, I had a blast with, with both parts. I think there's a lot of sly humour going on here. There's a lot of mythology that I'm very intrigued by, which sets it apart from your average Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th, sleepaway camp type thing. So three stars. We gave us three stars, but uh, Ben is certainly in the four camp and I'm wavering there as well. But let's see what happens when the final part hits next week and we can assess this thing as a whole. Three stars then for Fear Street Part 2, 1978. There are a couple of other films out this week as well. Check your local listings for details. Uh, We have Jumbo, which is an offbeat but excellent drama from Belgian writer-director Zoe Wittek. 
about a woman who falls in love with an amusement park ride. I have fallen in love with many amusement park rides, but they always break my heart by scaring the shit out of me. So, so then, then I just leave them. Anyway, Ian Freer reviewed this. We haven't seen it uh, ourselves on the podcast, but Ian Freer of this parish reviewed it. He said it is a short film premise at a feature film length, but few films take as many chances or go for broke as much as Jumbo. Whittock is an exciting new talent to watch and Merlant, who is uh, Naomi Merlant, who is the star of the film, spins something potentially laughable into a roller coaster. See what he did there? Or at least Waltzer Ride of Emotions. Four stars for that. Uh, we also gave four stars to the documentary The Truffle Hunters, which I suspect will make an excellent double bill with the upcoming Nick Cage Gonzo Ride Pig. And we've also given three stars to Jeremy Hirsch's The Surrogate, which is about what happens when complications arise when a young black woman agrees to become a surrogate mother for a gay interracial couple. So that sounds like it could be a very gripping, very interesting drama as well. So there's a whole bunch of stuff to wet your whistle, whether you want to watch something big like Black Widow in the multiplex or smaller affair in indie cinemas or something like Fear Street from the comfort of your own sofa. Or you could do what I'm doing Sunday night and I go into Picture House to watch the football match. Big football. Big football final. What are you doing, Ben? Uh, I'm going to be watching it with my mum and dad, which is going to be great. Um, my mum, I think, is going to be shouting at the screen a lot. I will probably be cowering behind a cushion, not from the screaming, just it, like the semi-final was horribly intense in a kind of fun way, kind of like Fear Street. So <laughs> bringing it back nicely. What a pro. What a pro. And I'm not even going to ask James what he's doing on Sunday night. I think that is a busted flush. In fact, he may be just trying to fix a busted flush. Anything <laughs> rather than watching the football, I'm sure. Time now for this week's guest. What a legend. James, even you've heard of this guy. He is, of course, the Shat. William Shatner. Yes. James T. Kirk. T. J. Hooker, Denny Crane. All Denny Crane. these iconic, iconic performances are down to one man, the Shat. He is now 90 years old, William Shatner, but uh, age is not slowing him down, as I discovered recently when I spoke to him on Zoom. He was ostensibly there to talk about his new movie, Senior Moment, uh, which is a rom-com in which he embarks upon a, a lovely, touching, gentle romance with Gene Smart. But as I very, very quickly discovered, I had a number of things I wanted to talk to him about, a number of things I had written down, a number of characters I wanted to touch on, including James T. Kirk. When you interview the chat, you don't interview the chat. You hold on for grim life and he tells you what he wants to tell you. And that is what happens. So I had a whale of a time trying to keep up with the man. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Here we go. Me and William Shatner. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by... The man himself, the legend, the one, the only, Mr. William Shatner, star of Senior Moment. How are you? I'm so well. I'm really, I'm really so well. I can hardly believe it. I'm. Uh, I, I wake up every morning and think uh, I'm well. I fell off a horse uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm. Um, I compete on a on a discipline called reining which mm. if you don't know what that is, um, and most people, a lot of people don't, uh, it's a very athletic equine um, uh, sport. 
which requires horses running as fast as they can and sliding to a stop and turning 180 degrees and going down the other end of the arena and slide to a stop and and back up and whirl to turn four times one way and four times another and and fast circles and slow circles. So it's very athletic and and you have to be skillful, all of which takes years to happen. Uh-huh. And um, and then so you spend years doing it. And uh, and all you get out of it is at most a blue ribbon or no ribbon at all. I've even had people that uh, that I've worked with and have worked with me steal other people's blue ribbons and what? post them on ours. Unbeknownst to me, people who were in the same uh, club and the same stable as as the one I was in. Uh huh. Unbeknownst to me, I only found out recently that they would go around and steal some blue ribbons from people who had won blue ribbons and hang them up on our stable. And people would pass by and say, wow, look at all the blue ribbons the stable won. And they hadn't won it. So you were so you had you fell off the horse in a couple of weeks ago doing this. So now the meet is over. We did pretty well. And a week later. After the horse was arrested, I came back to the stable. And you work the horses very slowly after a big uh, horse uh, meet. And so I was working very slowly. And then I decided, what the heck, this wonderful horse, I'm just going to run her down the arena and slide to a stop. Just, just, because, just, because, just because I wanted to, because she was so good at sliding to a stop as she was in the meet. In the horse show, yeah, so I run down, and I, I've now I have a vivid recollection of her left front leg going into a hole, the slight depression. Her shoulder lurches in that direction, unseats me a little, but not terrible. I come forward, but she's thinking, having just come off of me, oh, uh, I've got to come to an immediate stop. So now she stops. My little lurch forward now progresses into I'm around her. My arm is around her neck trying to stop me from falling, which she thinks is a signal to go to the right. So she turns to the right and off I come and I land on the point of my shoulder. Out of my right eye, I remember seeing her hooves go uh, going in that direction, but pretty close to to my face, but going to the to the right. And I land on the point of my shoulder. And I lie there for a moment. I'm in shock, kind of. And they come pick me up and I sit down on a chair. And my shoulder hurts, but I'm thinking, okay, I'm all right. And it turns out that I cracked that little bone. You don't know it, but you've got a little bone on the very tip of your shoulder. And so I cracked that bone and I cracked uh, whatever you call those wing bones on the back. Mm. Just little, little cracks. So... You could say I broke my shoulder, but it didn't really break it. But it hurts like hell. And and the doctor said four to six weeks, and uh, and let pain be your guide. So I, I was guided to this computer by my pain. And I'm <laughs> sure, yeah. It's painful. It's like a broken collarbone. There's not much you can do. Oh my words! That's that's it. That, yeah, that sounds intense. I have to say, it, it is intense. It is intense. I've occasionally I've hurt myself on a horse. Uh-huh. Uh, about three years ago, of course, I was on started spinning because you got to turn fast. 
one of the moves on these uh, on these uh, reigning horses is you spin fast to the right and spin fast to the left. So somehow my foot gave her a cue to spin. Unexpectedly, she starts to spin. And the more she spun, the more off balance I got. The more I get, my foot, my foot was in her side, which is her cue to spin even faster. She spun me into the ground <clears throat> and I cracked the bone in my leg. <laughs> so that I had, in essence, a broken leg. Well, you ask me how I am? I'm fine. That's good. That's good to know. <laughs> what am I doing at my age on that? What am I doing? I don't know. Why am I doing that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, if, you know, listen, don't let them make you stop. You're absolutely right. I'm going to be continue doing it because the absolute joy of um, of being on a horse, on that kind of horse that is so sensitive to the moves of your body that it becomes an extension of you, hmm. is a kind of dream. People, people who are interested in riding horses occasionally dream of being a, a minotaur, the horse and you are one. Hmm. I used to have those dreams, running across a, pa a pasture faster than you know, galloping, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the running, and uh, uh, the dream. I'm, I'm doing the running, but I'm in the form of a horse. That was a dream, and these, this sport, is like a dream, a vivid dream. Well, it, it, it strikes me as well. I mean, I've, I've read a number of interviews with you recently, and. You know the, the the fact that you are now ninety years old has come up now and now and again, and that you don't strike me as a ninety year old, sir. It has to be said. I mean, so keep on doing what makes you happy. And uh... well, this week, uh, no, not in a couple of weeks, I'm doing what is called here Shark Week. It's all about uh, Shark Week. Is obviously about sharks. I guess they have a week of it where uh, some personalities and a friend of mine, Brad Paisley. Uh, called me and said, "Hey, I've done Shark Week. I heard you did it too." So, oh my God, uh, he he swam with the sharks. But what he didn't do, which is what I did, I was in among other things. I was in about sixty feet of water with a scuba suit on. I'm sitting on a rock, and there are eighteen foot tiger sharks in front of me. Tiger sharks, only one step less than a white. Uh, a uh, 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 great white. Yeah. And the Bahamians who are experts, these marvelous people are feeding the great, uh, the, the, these tiger sharks. And when they came over to take a bite of, out of the cameramen who were there, uh, they would push them off. Like they were pushing, you know, herding a, a horse again yeah. over there. And, and meanwhile, about, Eight yards, less than 10 and more than five yards away from me was a woman who had spent 30 years in the Bahamian waters uh, dealing with sharks. Now, what her qualifications were as in educational, I don't know, but she was called the shark whisperer. And later on, with I don't know what happened to the great whites. I don't, I don't quite remember whether this happened before the great whites came over. I don't know how you say, okay, great uh, 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 shark. Uh, 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 a tiger shark, goodbye, goodbye. But somehow that was gone, and she brought over 
a five foot shark and put it in my lap. Wow. I'm now petting a shark in my lap. Who's like a puppy dog. Now I have dogs. I have Dobermans. Yeah. And I deal with these purportedly vicious Dobermans that you would with a child. Now, easy guys have manners, manners, guys, as they get rambunctious, especially the male mm. is three years old and a big, Sure. Big bully. He just big with a, and, and they hit you with your chest. That's, I don't know. I think they're bred to do that. I read somewhere. Yeah. So no manners, dogs, manners. And you, you know, you guide them that way by a certain domination, but French, a friendly domination. And that's what she did with the sharks. And instead of stroking them on their bellies, there's a, there's a tonic, a, like a sleep tonic that you put the sharks in. If you turn them on their tummies, any shark, yeah. and rub their bellies, whether it's a tiger shark or a white shark, which is what the orcas do, the orcas turn these great whites over on their bellies, stroke them, put them in a toxic or a tonic uh, sleep, and then eat their livers. Can you believe it? Wow. I mean, it's so evil. So here this woman is able not to put those sharks into a, a tonic sleep. Mm. But by petting and loving, the shark becomes so sleepy that she's able to put it in my lap and I continue the petting as though it was a giant Doberman and I'm petting it. Now they're all wearing chain mail and I'm not. So I can feel their, their I don't know what you call it, skin or I can feel their shark surface, yeah. which is like a very harsh carpet with my fingers the a five foot shark is in my lap and I'm petting it. And this is all part of shark week. <laughs> so when you say, what am I doing and age and all at one point I thought, what am I doing here? You know, <laughs> with these sharks. And then, and then just to finish this whole story. Yeah. The, as I'm ready, you, you know, when you have the scuba suit and everything on, you leap into the water and you're holding your mask so it doesn't jar off. Yeah. And that's how you get into the water. So I'm being told now the most difficult part of this thing is getting in and out of the water because there are a half a dozen sharks of a different ilk thrashing around where you leap into the water. And that's where it's most dangerous. And I'm about to leap into the water with five or six sharks running around, not just like lurking, you can see their backs. Like if you jump in too quickly, you'll land on their back and coming out the same way. You're vulnerable going in and vulnerable going out. That's the worst part, they said. And then and then the best part or the least the worst part is me sitting on a, walk, a rock watching an 18-foot tiger shark. I mean, the whole thing, it's at, at Shark Week. Oh, my God. See, I, I take back my earlier advice. By all means, keep riding horses, but maybe don't get into the water with sharks too often. She said, and I, I carry the message, I wave the message in front of your audience, that sharks are so important, are an absolute necessity in the ocean, mm -hmm. and that the possibility of being bitten by a shark is far more. The, the possibility is so much less than being hit by lightning. That, that's, uh, so you shouldn't be afraid of sharks, and be wary, but don't be afraid, and certainly... Let's make sure we, we keep them in the ocean. There are a couple of moments in, in Senior Moment 
that uh, I, I guess you could say there's there's certainly one stunt I would have said. So there's, there's a moment on the bus where you you fall to the ground, and I was I was impressed that you would you would do it yourself as well. You didn't you didn't hand it over to a stunt person to do. No, I, I've done all that all my professional life, doing a lot of stunts. I've done some really terrible, ridiculous, dangerous things that I had no right to do. I look back on it now, and I'm like, what in heaven's name was I thinking of? What's what's the one that comes to mind? Well, the one that comes to mind is I'm on a top of a train, an engine, a uh, diesel. And I say that because diesels are very slick up there. They, they, the modern, they've been modernized, so anything that's, uh, that's thrashing in the wind, they've tried to eliminate. So there's no place to anchor, to cable a person like me on. So I'm on, you know, like the, like the old-fashioned uh, movies, you're running along the train, and, you're the, and here comes the train, and somebody's tied to the rail. I'm on top of the train. I can't be cabled off because there's nothing to, to attach a cable to. So I'm standing on the train. By this time, the engine's going about 40 miles an hour. That's enough so that, that if you lean forward as the wind is rushing past you, you're an airfoil. If you lean forward and you've curved your body, you're the, 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 your gravitational pull yeah. is about a third. You're very light on your feet. You, if you, if you make a move, you're you you get a little lift any faster than four forty miles an hour, and you'll take off. But at forty miles an hour, you're barely able to stand, and it's like the bad guy is coming, and here come, and there's a heli- two helicopters. There's the helicopter that's part of the story, like they're going to save me, and I got to reach up and grab the helicopter uh, railing, yeah. the landing gear. Then there, behind that, there's a camera helicopter taking the shot. And I've looked at that and thought, and, and it goes around a curve. The car, because of this, this particular rail that they were using, wasn't used by, uh, uh, maybe it was to be used in this manner for filming, but it was unused. It couldn't have been because it was back east, but it was an unused spur that they were using uh, to film. And there was a bridge and a curve and going around a curve on top of a train at 40 miles an hour, you can feel the centrifugal force. You can feel it pulling you to the side. Uh, if I had fallen, I'd be dead. Why did I, why would I do that? Why would I, I said to the director prior to the shot, how are you going to shoot this? He says, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll shoot it uh, in the studio with a uh, background uh, projection, I know. And I said, well, let's try it. Let's try it. He says, well, if you'd like to try it, <laughs> he said, well, if you'd like to try it, he said as a director, let's start at 10 miles an hour. Let's see what happens. So we started at 10 and he shot it. And I said, how does it look? He says, it looks like you're going 10 miles an hour. <laughs> so we kept upping the speed from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40. Why would I do that? It seems to be a recurring theme. The excitement, yeah, the 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 adrenaline thrill, but also to have the opportunity to say to somebody like you, "I was going forty miles an hour on top of the train, and I didn't couldn't be cabled off." And I, oh my! Partly it's bravado. It's it's uh, 
look how, look how, you know, um, look how, how I really am doing my own stunts. Whereas other actors say I do my own stunts and, and a, and a real, um, insurance company would not allow you to do that. Cause if you hurt your little finger, go with you. Oh, I hurt my little finger and I can't shoot for the next hour cost, you know, what? 10 to $50,000. Your little finger. What happens if you, if you, if you sprain an ankle, what happens if you bash your head in? What happens if you die? So the insurance company is saying, you can't do that. You, I was told I couldn't ride a motorcycle when I was filming on a regular basis. You know, you're not allowed to ride a motorcycle. At which point I would go out on weekends with the lawyers from uh, Paramount and go riding the lawyers and I would go riding on our motorcycle. <laughs> and what was why? that? What was why the? Would what, that? Uh, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And what was the movie? What was the train stunt uh, on? It was something for television uh-huh. some years ago. Okay, not forgotten, but you can look it up. Yeah. I mean, there I am on the top of a engine. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. There seems to be something in my DNA. You know, stunt people exist. I mean, you can, you know, you're, you can employ those guys to do all the difficult stuff and the dangerous stuff for you. Well, I've done, I was on a kayak for American sportsmen. One of the things I was their fair haired boy. There was a program called American sportsmen hmm. that would take celebrities out and do weird things. So one of the weird things that they had me do was kayak. So kayaking is great fun. It's not unlike skiing. You go down a hill, you go down the water. But kayaks are very shifty so that they can roll over in a blink of an eye, almost before you can catch your breath. Before your reflexes can happen, you're underwater. You're upside down. So the absolutely necessary thing you have to learn is called an Eskimo roll. You have to, in that moment that you turn over, you got to get your paddle above the surface of the water. Now you're upside down, sitting upside down and and flowing water. You got to get your paddle up above the water and use it as a lever and come back up. You follow? Yeah. Yeah. That's called an Eskimo rule. And when you learn to kayak, you do it intuitively. And you're back up. But until you learn to do that, it takes a struggle. So I had a week of kayaking in which Olympic kayakers were teaching me to kayak. And I didn't know it then, only found out later, that each day they have one to five uh, rapids. So the number one rapid, obviously, is nice, you know, flows mm-hmm. nicely. And mm-hmm. You can get in. And they were teaching me to do to, to Eskimo roll and I do Eskimo roll. But on the sixth day, they had me going down number five rapids, which are very dangerous. And, and like you can get caught in, in a flow of water that back goes back over on itself. You get locked into that and people drown. And, and I was in a number five rapid when I turned upside down and couldn't get right side up. And to get out of that thing, to get out of the kayak, you're tied in with rubber bunting. So you have to reach forward and get that apron of yours out of there, get out of the kayak and get to the top. And that's what happened. Then I got back in the, they, they rescued me. 
got back into the, they, they took me back up to the top and I did it again. And this time I was able to get through without, without rolling over. Amazing. Well, William Shatner, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've, I've loved hearing about all your near-death experiences. Please be, please be careful in the future. Oh, that would eliminate a whole aspect of my personality, wouldn't it? <laughs> good point, good point. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Lee, sir. Take care. So that was William Shatner, and Senior Moment is out right now. It is out on DVD and digital, so go and check it out if you're in the mood for a gentle rom-com aimed at an older audience. Seems fair. Right, time now to delve deep into this week's movie news and bring this bad boy home. What has been happening, folks, in the world of movie news? What indeed has been happening? I'm going to start off with news that Paddington 3 is coming. Oh yes, Paddington 3 is coming. It's, it's coming, coming home. It's, it's coming. coming. Paddington's, Paddington's coming home. <laughs> Doesn't quite work, damn it. No, not uh, really. But Paddington 3 is going gonna, is gonna <laughs> to happen. Uh, it is going to start shooting in 2022. Oh, we don't know much about it. We know that Paul King has been involved with the story, and along with Simon Farnaby, has done some work on the story, and I'm presuming as well some work on the script. But the film is not going to be directed by Paul King because he is making his Willy Wonka prequel with uh, Timmy Two Meats. So they haven't announced a director yet, and those are some pretty big shoes to fill. How do you follow up those two movies? I know I'm fascinated to see who they pick for this because, I mean, so much of what is great about those films is that style and that tone that comes from from Paul King and, and Simon Farnaby and all those guys. Uh, hopefully they can continue that with an incoming director, somebody who hopefully keeps that like quaint storybook feel. I think that's so much of the charm of these films, that slightly kind of almost British Wes Anderson-ish, but without that archness and with more of the kind of warm sincerity. Uh, It'd be interesting to see if they pick like an up-and-coming filmmakers because I don't think um, Paul King was necessarily a huge name before these movies. Obviously, he'd done various bits of of Mm -hmm. comedies and other stuff, but um, he wasn't a big name in filmmaking. I wonder if they're going to pick somebody else who maybe is is kind of on the rise or if they're going to go for a bigger name director because I think neither of these films have been huge box office hits especially worldwide I think they're sort of bigger here than they are it feels like it's still more of a cult thing in the US it's like a film Twitter thing uh, in America more than it is uh, kind of everybody across the USA loving Paddington Bear and Marmalade Sandwiches but I'm so I'm just glad that we're getting a third one even mm-hmm. if it's not Paul King I just yeah intrigued to find out who they pick who they trust nervous yeah i'm nervous about this one if i'm honest with you you know they've got to have a good reason for for pursuing this and continuing without paul king whose sensibilities made paddington so much of what both of those movies were you know there's so much of him and his personality in that little bear and in everything that happens there's so much warmth and kindness and humanity if you've ever met paul king he's just a lovely lovely guy and I hope that they can find that without it feeling cynical and contrived. It's a really difficult line to, to walk. Do you know what would be a good enough reason? Paddington wants to get another present for Aunt Lucy. That's all this needs to be. And I'm already crying. At the oh, no, of kill it. Aunt Lucy off the beginning. Yeah, no, no, she's gone. She's oh, gone. This is why monster. I didn't get to the gig. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to turn it into a sort of Knives Out style murder mystery where Paddington's trying to figure out who killed Aunt Lucy. Um, it was Peter Capaldi. We, we know that straight away. <laughs> yes, it was as Captain Brexit or whatever the hell his name is. Uh, so the film's going to be written by Mark Burton, John Foster and James Lamont, but it's based on the story by Paul King, Simon Farnaby 
and Mark Burton. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Anything else? Uh, what else has been happening in the world? Kaylee Kuoko has got a film role lined up, so she's looking to star in Role Play, which doesn't have a direct attached at the moment. I think this is mainly exciting. I mean, it feels like there's a lot of backlash against Big Bang Theory, and I'm not sure all of that is not, you know, so at least some of that is slightly well-deserved. But she's actually very, very good. I don't think either of you saw The Flight Attendant, but she was really, really good in yeah. that as a sort of dramatic role that also capitalised on the fact that she's a good comedic actress as well. And she carried that show really, really well. And that was a limited series, which actually got renewed uh, for a second one as well, because I think she was so impressive in it. So she's going to theoretically start and possibly produce role play, which is about a married couple whose lives get kind of upended, if you will, uh, after secrets are revealed about each other's pasts. So typically vague, absolutely no idea who's going to direct it. It's written by <laughs> Seth Owen, who did Morgan, but uh, there you go, film for her. But I'm, I'm, it's interesting to see her breaking onto the big screen. I'm pleased. I'm pleased to see this. Like, is there, do either of you watch Harley Quinn, other than the recent Batman Catwoman controversies we've had? I've I've got the first season. But I haven't. I've, I've. I keep meaning to get round to watching it. I loved the first couple of episodes that I watched. Yeah. But um, yeah, I keep forgetting. She that voices I Quinn herself, and she's very, yes. very good at that too. Yeah, she's really talented. Really, really talented. So mm. yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, she was amazing in the flight attendant. That show was really, really great, and the tonal balances that she had to walk there in yeah. from literally yeah. moment to moment, second to second was really, really impressive. She takes face acting to a whole other level. She has very, very expressive features and she uses them very, very well in that show. Indeed. I'm also excited about some news that broke last night. It's not been confirmed yet, but there are reports that Matthew Fawn is making another spy movie, but it is not the much-mooted and much-ballyhooed Kingsman 3. I'm still not sure whether he's going to direct Kingsman 3. I think Kingsman 3 is going to happen. Of course, The King's Man, which is the prequel to the Kingsman movies, is still pandemic delayed and will be hitting Disney uh, and Disney Plus, I think, in December of this year, uh, almost two years after it was first meant to come out. And so Kingsman 3 is presumably going to happen at some point, but he is making, he is going to write and direct another spy movie, but it's not in the Kingsman world. Uh, no title yet, but apparently it's about a best-selling spy novelist who turns out to be a world-class spy and she's suffering from amnesia. So immediately I'm thinking about The Long Kiss Goodnight as a mm. potential touchstone for this. So hopefully A Long Kiss Goodnight, but without a pretty terrible third act, that would be good. And continuing the Long Kiss Goodnight connection, Sam Jackson is in talks to star in this movie. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is apparently in talks to play the lead role. And Sam Rockwell is also going to be in the cast too. So this is heck of a cast and very, very interesting that uh, that Fawn's doing this and he's writing and directing it, I think. This is the first time he's written something without another writer, without like a Jane Goldman. So that could be very interesting to see what he's going to come up with. Mm. Yeah, interesting. He's staying in the spy arena, but doing something sort of slightly separate to Kingsman. I wonder if that means he'll be striking a different tone. Those Kingsman movies have a very specific sort of extreme Bond uh, kind of feel. So that bringing that sort of 60s playfulness, but then pushing it to kind of, yeah, more contemporary extremes. I wonder if he's going to go for a slightly different flavor of spy movie, if he's staying in that genre, but not doing a Kingsman film with this one. Mm. We will find out. I think we need to talk about Wolverine. So earlier this week, Hugh Jackman sent the internet into sort of some kind of breakdown after he put out two Instagram stories. The first one was Wolverine's Claws. And the second one was Hugh with Kevin Feige. Now, we obviously don't know what this means, if anything, but the internet has now decided that Wolverine is returning and he's coming to the MCU. What did you guys think of this? I'm taking it with a whacking great pinch of salt. Um... 
I mean, I think it's interesting uh, the fact that he posted those two Instagram stories back to back, the the Wolverine claws and then him with Feige, which that picture was from like several years ago. It's not a new picture. Yeah. Uh, that is the sort of post that is designed to get people talking on the internet, which he very much succeeded in doing. <laughs> I'm just still really skeptical over whether he would come back as Wolverine. Like it, they gave that character the perfect send-off in Logan. And obviously that lent into the fact that, hey, they aged Hugh Jackman up for that, but that he is a bit older now. And it sounds like his workout routine to get into shape for those Wolverine <laughs> movies every time he was going to do another one just sounded insanely brutal. And I, I, it would take a lot, the, the big reversing dump truck of money, to get him to go through that again. I, I don't know that it would take money. I think his love for that character is absolutely incredible. I think he would relish the opportunity to go back. I think my only reservation is, it's partly age-related, I think certainly, in that you would think that when the X-Men come to the MCU, they will possibly be younger because they'll, they'll want a certain amount to get a certain amount of mileage out of them. And, you know, to have Wolverine as kind of like he was in first class as kind of an elder statesman type character, as like an older teacher, I'm not quite sure that sits that well with me but also as you say logan feels like a perfect end for that character uh, and i think maybe some of the poignance of that possibly gets lost if he comes back i don't know yeah i'm torn in this one i think an older wolverine works perfectly he's always been older than the x-men well he's 200 odd years so yeah, yeah. i mean that's just that's just naturally part of his character but he's always felt older as well uh, even when, you know, even when in the comic books, you know, Scott and Gene and all those guys are clearly in their 30s or 40s, he's always <laughs> felt older. Yeah, I do have a, I do worry that Logan was the perfect send off for the character, but also he may be looking at the possibility of someone else playing Wolverine and maybe he's not as at peace with that as he thought he might be when he hung up mm. the claws back in 2017 now. So we're almost coming up in four years since, since Logan. And, you know, it's still not confirmed, but the strong rumor is, of course, we're going to see people who have played Spider-Man previously, possibly in Spider-Man No Way Home and people who True. have played different villains in the in different Spider-Man movies as well showing up. So this could be a very interesting alternate universe way of bringing the X-Men in. And what better mm. way to bring the X-Men in when than with Hugh Jackman's Wolverine? I think that's a that's a really elegant way of bringing them into the MCU. And we are being perhaps unnecessarily linear, then, given that we're talking about the multiverse, and you've long said that you think that that's how they'll bring the X-Men into the MCU, and that makes perfect sense. But, you know, having Hugh Jackman in as Wolverine does not rule out the possibility of a younger Wolverine, because we are talking about timelines and realities and whatnot. So I think if the new Spider-Man tells us anything, it's that all bets are absolutely off as to what is and isn't canon, about what is and isn't linear. So I think they could do pretty much anything at this point. Yeah, I mean, if you want insane, like, global world recognition of a character and an actor associated together and then launching some kind of new strand of the MCU with, with mutant stories, getting Hugh Jackman's Wolverine in there would be an instant. Everybody in the world knows who that character is. Yeah, And they could do it as a handoff. They could have him as part of it, but also be introducing either a, another incarnation of Wolverine, a new incarnation, or just other X-Men characters who they plan to to use going forward, but have him as the sort of, everybody, Hugh Jackman is back as Wolverine in this film. Yeah, I, I really don't know which way they're going to go with this. And that's kind of interesting. Mm. If indeed there is even a list for them to go with. We, uh, let's keep mm. an eye on it. Let's see what happens with that. Uh, two last things. Uh, one is that Zack Snyder is lining up his next movie, and uh, it is not an Army of the Dead sequel, but it is going to be at Netflix. And it's going to be a big old science fiction epic called Rebel Moon, 
which will be inspired by Star Wars and Akira Kurosawa and uh, is going to be about a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy threatened by the armies of a tyrannical regent named Balasarius. And a young woman with a mysterious past is dispatched to seek out warriors from neighboring planets to help them make a stand. So this also feels very much this is this is Zack Snyder's Seven Samurai. This is his Magnificent Seven in space. This is his Battle Beyond the Stars. And this is interesting because there was talk years and years ago that he was talking to Lucasfilm about making a Star Wars film, basically a Jedi version of Seven Samurai. And I wonder if he has recalibrated that project and made it mm. totally original now. I know Zack Snyder divides people, but I think he can be tremendous. I had a blast with Army of the Dead and yeah, more original, mind bending, eyeball blowing because it will look amazing. Sci-fi, yeah. please. Yeah, this this is 100%. I'm on board with this. I just love the idea of it. Like Star Wars in many ways is kind of Kurosawa slash John Ford in space, but taking that template and running with it, you know, about Beyond the Stars, all of that, brilliant. And with his visual sensibilities yes 100 uh, percent. i didn't love army of the dead as much as as much as you did but i i still have a lot of time for zack snyder despite his sort of slightly patchy record yeah and i'm excited i'm excited about it i, re- I really am so uh so let's see what happens with rebel moon and the last thing we're going to talk about this week is the very very sad news that the legendary richard donner the director of the omen superman the movie the goonies lethal weapon lady hawk lethal weapon mm. 2 inside moves scrooged Conspiracy Theory, Lethal Weapon 3, I could go on. And, of course, the episode of The Twilight Zone in which William Shatner, Nightmare 20,000 Feet, that incredible episode where he looks out and he sees a sort of goblin-type thing on the wing and no one will believe him, one of the most influential pieces of TV ever, passed away this week at the age of 91. And this one, I'll be honest, guys, this one got me right in the feels. This one hurt uh, because... This man, along with Steven Spielberg and Joe Dante and Robert Zemeckis, directed my childhood. And that was uh, a big, big loss. Yeah, what an iconic track record there. Like, And especially across various genres. Mm. You have, like, The Omen is like super classic horror. I know he never really saw it as a horror. He called it a mystery thriller. I, <laughs> I, I, I love you, Richard Donner, but it's, it's a horror film. <laughs> and it's a really good one. And to go from that... To Superman the movie, you can't even begin to describe how influential that is on everything that we have today in terms of obviously future DC films, but Marvel and the prominence of superhero movies, how you kind of take those characters and kind of keep all the fun in there, but also take them seriously and not kind of take the mech out of it. And that sincerity really shines through in a lot of what the MCU does and Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman films, massively influential. And then to also have amazing kind of action comedies like Lethal Weapon and him working with Bill Murray on Scrooge. Like, it's such a rich kind of variety of films that with these big, big movies that touched anybody who's into films, if you are into films in any way, you have likely seen at least a handful of films that Richard Donner made. And yeah, his sort of impact on film culture and on just wider culture and where we are now is mm. massive. Mm. 100%. I just, I love so many of these films and they all, exactly as Chris says, that so, they feel so integral to sort of my movie education growing up. Uh, it's a real shame. You know, even his latter day stuff, you know, so Conspiracy Theory and Assassins, you know, I still have a soft spot for all of those films, which I would have rented out from the video store at the time. He was, he was an incredible, and an incredible guy who was always really generous with his time and always willing to talk about these films. Even mm. the films like Scrooge, he maybe didn't love as much or enjoy making as much. He was always willing to talk to us about it. And uh, yeah, so Dick Donner, mm. I, will, I will always have a soft spot for him. 
Absolutely. I had the, the good fortune to meet him a, a couple of times. Uh, I met him in 2006. I went to New York when 16 Blocks came out and there was a there was a whiteout in the city. And I remember trudging to the, to the hotel and and he was just so warm and fighting and friendly. And I met him again at the Goonies reunion that we did in L.A. in 2009. And that was just tremendous. I've, I've talked about it on Twitter this week already about how he came into the room. And even though he would have been late 70s by that point, he had so much energy and brio. And he came into the room going, hip hop, hip hop. Come on, let's get it going, guys. And, you know, just everyone in the cast, you could just see the love that they had for this guy who was such a, a, just a huge figure for them growing up. Yeah. And yeah, he was tremendous. It's very difficult for me to pick a favorite from Richard Donner, but The Omen is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Superman, the movie, and and a lot of the work he did in Superman 2, the Donner cut of Superman 2. A lot of his work is in the Richard Lester version of Superman 2 as well. Uh, I love both the first two Lethal Weapon movies in particular. I think Lethal Weapon 2 is one of the great unheralded sequels. Uh, he was just a tremendous man and a tremendous filmmaker. And I'm really shocked by this in a way because he always seemed to have so much energy and I thought he would be going on forever. But uh, sadly, that is not the case. Richard Donner passed away this week at the age of 91. And very, very quickly, we should also mention the fact that that is New Empire Week and that the new issue of Empire is on sale today in all good, evil and virtual news agents. And it is yet again another belting issue. Isn't it, guys? It is indeed. It is indeed. What is in the new issue? Well, let's be honest. The only really important thing in this new issue is, of course, my fantastic feature with Lisa Joy, where we talk about her new film, Reminiscence. Uh, I had a whale of a time talking to her about that. It's a great science fiction noir with uh, Rebecca Ferguson and Hugh Jackman. Uh, and we got really into the weeds on that as well. But there are, I am told, other things, lesser you things. burying the lead, I believe, is what they call. <laughs> and one of them is the Suicide Squad. Isn't that right? Yes, there are five collectible Suicide Squad covers. Uh, and it's we've got a massive story on the making of the film, all the madness of James Gunn's latest movie, from the kind of set pieces to the costumes so many people kind of we've spoken to for this one so obviously James Gunn is in there uh but Idris Elba Margot Robbie John Cena loads of cast members producers as I said the costume designer in there uh, about how they pulled this kind of crazy colorful gonzo violent splatsticky vision to the screen and it's a massive James Gunn special this issue as well because as well as the Suicide Squad feature we've got James Gunn giving his seven biggest filmmaking lessons that he's learned from the sort of 15 odd years of his movie career so far. We also speak to his frequent collaborators, people like his brother, Sean Gunn, Michael Rooker, Peter Safran, the producer who's worked with him kind of many times. And we have an exclusive playlist of songs that didn't quite make it onto the Suicide Squad soundtrack which looks like it's going to be another classic. Well, it's going to be another awesome mix in anything but name. Uh, and we have our own awesome mix that you can check out on Spotify that James Gunn curated for us. Uh, you get a Jim Lee art print, an exclusive mm. art print of the Suicide Squad, also with James Gunn in the middle of it, which is really cool, by the absolute icon that is Jim Lee that comes with this month's issue. So the tons of goodness for the uh, sort of Suicide Squad and James Gunn fanboy mm. in us all. Loads of other stuff as well. 20 Years of Shrek, the kind of mad story of bringing Shrek to the screen. Uh-oh, don't tell uh, The Guardian. They'll be furious. <laughs> oh, one of my favourite things in this issue, uh, which I think was you, Chris, is Peter Jackson and Edgar Wright in conversation about rock documentaries. Obviously, oh, yeah. PJ is working hard on his uh, Beatles, well, now series. Um, and Edgar Wright 
has the Sparks Brothers coming up. So those two talking about music and documentary making is a really, really great feature. We've also got a feature on Limbo, which is one of the most kind of intriguing British films this year. This is a film about uh, Syrian refugees stranded on an island in Scotland that is also a comedy. Uh, So apparently that is uh, a fascinating film and we've got a feature all about the making of that. It's a a stacked issue. There's tons of stuff in there. Tons and tons of stuff indeed. Uh, Yeah, that Peter Jackson, Edgar Wright interview was a privilege to be a part of. Uh, Again, as with Edgar and Quentin Tarantino when we did that podcast earlier in the year, didn't say a lot, but I like to listen and I heard good, good things. So if you want to pick up that issue and read it, there's an exclusive interview with Tilda Swinton in the review section, which is which is fantastic. There's loads of great stuff inside the issue. Go to any good or evil news agent or virtual news agent and pick up a copy. Hell, why not pick up two or five? Get all five covers. Can't say fairer than that. Anyway, on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... I think, because I need to check my notes, I think Aaron Eckhart, star of a film called Wander, and possibly Alex Wolfe, star of M. Night Shyamalan's Old. And there might be some more people in there as well. Again, I haven't checked my notes. But anyway, until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Helen has already departed. Squadcast names, Captain Communism. Ben Travis. Let's just be clear, I'm not Captain Communism. I just very much enjoyed David Harbour's character in Black Widow, who pretty much should be called Captain Communism. He has Karl Marx tattooed on his knuckles. <laughs> he does, it's amazing. <laughs> I love him in that so much. He does, he really does. Uh, it is goodbye from the real slim shady side, James Dyer. That is me, yes indeed. Goodbye one and all. Goodbye one and all. It is goodbye from me, the Crimson Dynamo. Thank you so much for listening. As ever, I'm off to get myself an England shirt with Pennywise on the back because it chapter two is coming home. All right. It's coming home. We all come home down here. <laughs>